Every month, we offer exciting new webinars for our community. Topics include how to use retirement accounts to buy real estate overseas, how to get a second passport in Latin America, why you should sell your stock portfolio and move your money offshore, how to buy beachfront rental properties in Brazil for less than $100,000, or apartments in Paraguay for less than $60,000. If you want to join us for free for these presentations with live Q&A, insider secrets, and exclusive opportunities with my professional network of experts, then go to expatmoney.com forward slash webinars. That's expatmoney.com forward slash webinars to register for free upcoming presentations. expatmoney.com forward slash webinars. We all dream of seeing the world, but the realities of living somewhere outside your place of birth can be daunting to say the least. Welcome to the Expat Money Show, helping you make the most out of your overseas career through conversations with successful expats on investing, entrepreneurship, self-improvement, and continual education, all while sharpening your financial acumen. Now, please welcome your host with over 20 years of overseas experience, Mikkel Thorup. Hey everyone, Mikkel here. So before we get into today's episode, I just want to mention to you that you need to check out all the work we're doing on social media. So don't worry about Instagram, don't worry about LinkedIn, don't worry about Pinterest and those types of things. Where you're going to find me is on Twitter. Every single day I'm on Twitter. We're sharing a lot of the thoughts, a lot of the tips, a lot of the breaking news is coming out on Twitter. And then add to that our expat money forum. We are doing so much amazing things in the forums. There's special content that's not found anywhere else. There's a lot of networking. There's just so much happening on this forum that I really hope you get a chance to participate. And you can access that at expatmoneyforum.com. So find me on Twitter at Thora Mikkel or join the forum at Expat Money Forum. Okay, enjoy today's episode. Welcome, welcome, welcome. My name is Mikkel Thorpe. This is the Expat Money Show, and today's guest is an American expat entrepreneur living and working in Bali. Along with his wife in 2009, they created Greenback Expat Tax Services that currently has clients in 212 countries and territories around the world. They have been featured in Time Business and Money, CNBC Money, Routers, Yahoo, and Newsweek. Please welcome to the show, David McKeegan. David, how are you doing? Yeah, excellent. Thank you for having me on the show. My pleasure. So, David, why don't you take a couple of minutes and just talk us through your backstory and how you arrived in Bali with your business? Sure. So, my wife and I are both originally from New York, and we left New York back in 2002. And we first moved to Barcelona, Spain, where we both attended the ESA Business School and got our MBAs. Then after that, we moved to London, where we both began working in finance. And we worked in finance for a number of years. And when we started talking about having a family and looking at the lifestyle we had, we thought, you know, if you're working 60, 70 hours a week in the city, when do you have time to raise your children? So it was at that point that we really started thinking about and looking at starting our own business. And we were actually during the first part of the financial crisis, you know, when Lehman Brothers was going bankrupt, we were on holiday. We were in Croatia sitting on an island and we started writing out a list of different business ideas 
that we could start. And our goal was to write out 100 business ideas. They could be completely crazy. They could be brilliant. And the idea was just to get 100 ideas on a piece of paper, and then we could start eliminating the ones that didn't meet the criteria we wanted for our lifestyle. And so we did that over the course of two or three days. And when we went back and started reviewing and cutting out ideas, the tax business just kept rising to the top of the list. I love brainstorming exercises like this because really the free flow of ideas, especially between multiple people, it can be so super powerful. And I've done exercises like this. And some of the ideas uh, that come out are hilarious and completely off the wall. But really the point is <laughs> to just get them out on paper and don't judge any of the ideas or don't judge any of the people for coming up with these things. And as you said, once you start to whittle these things down, actually in the end you can be left with something that is just brilliant. Yeah, it's really a fun process. We've recommended it to some other friends who are entrepreneurial and trying to get something started. And one couple said that they kept arguing about which ideas were good and bad. So instead, they just started a list and they put it on their refrigerator. And you know, anybody could walk by and write a business idea down on there. And this was the way they did it. So there was no criticism, no any of that. And then they got to their 100 ideas and they're now starting to whittle it down to you know, match the lifestyle they want to have. And I think that self-reflection as well when trying to create something from scratch can be really beneficial to people. Yeah, absolutely. So tell me a little bit about what you're focused on right now, Dave. Sure. So we have our main business is greenbacktaxservices.com. And this is a company that does U.S. taxes for Americans that live outside the United States. And you know, we founded this business because when we were living in London, uh, we were having a lot of issues getting our taxes done and getting them done accurately at an affordable price. And so when we started thinking about businesses, both coming from finance and marketing backgrounds, we thought, you know, this is something we could tackle. This is something we could go after. And, yeah, as you mentioned, now we've grown to have clients all over the world. You know, I think we're over 5,000 clients now. And, uh, you know, people all around the world, we help them each year get their taxes done. So did you need to go back to school to get your CPA or how did that work? It's sort of interesting. So neither of us are CPAs. And when we started the business, neither of us had any accounting qualifications. We both have our MBAs. We both have years of experience in financial services, uh, but we hadn't done any tax returns. And the model of the business is not for us to do the tax returns. We have a team of accountants that are either CPAs or IRS enrolled agents who do the tax returns on behalf of our customers. So after about maybe a year and a half in business, you know, once we knew the idea had legs, I went back and took the enrolled agents exam, which is the highest federal designation you can do on the tax side. So I'm not a CPA, but I am an IRS enrolled agent. Well, that's really interesting. So you were able to create a business where you were able to leverage other people's skills, their talents, their expertise, and hone that and focus in on a specific niche. I really love that. Yeah, and you know, we don't do the tax returns, and that's kind of one of the more interesting advantages or competitive advantages we have because most of our competition is accountants, whereas our background is in sales, it's in marketing, it's in finance. 
And so it's easier for us to focus on growing our business as opposed to getting caught up in the day-to-day practice of doing the business. Because a lot of times people think that they need to be better. They need to be a better accountant. They need to be a better lawyer. They need to be better at doing their job. But actually, the secret to entrepreneurship is not being better at that or even being the best at that. The secret is being the best at marketing yourself, being able to advertise yourself through that branding and communicating your message to your prospects. And really understanding what the client needs. And so for us, being expats, being expats who had had problems getting our taxes done correctly really gave us, I think, a very valuable insight into the industry that your average CPA would not have. So highlighting those pain points because you've actually lived through it yourself. So you know how to communicate the message to your prospects. Exactly. And we know where the pain points are in the process so we can try and get in there and fix those pain points for people. So opposed to, say, a CPA who's based out of the United States who decides that they want to specialize in expat taxes but has never lived overseas, you're someone who's lived overseas and did not specialize in taxes and then found someone to do that specific job. Exactly. That's fantastic. Actually, that's a great business lesson for anybody, really understanding the marketing, really understanding into your customers' minds, and then their specialized skills can actually be outsourced to a lot of people. The marketing of a business and this understanding is the one thing that you never really want to outsource. Yeah, exactly. And yeah, for us, it's the more interesting side. Yeah, I find the tax side interesting, but growing a, you know, what we jokingly call a micro multinational, yeah. A small business that's global has really been interesting over the last nine or so years. So I would love to hear from you kind of what your experience is doing something like that, because you have accountants all over the world who work under your umbrella. Yeah. You know, a lot of people want to live overseas. And it used to be that it was a specialty assignment. It was considered a hardship. If your company wanted to send you overseas, you had to be put on a special package to do it and all these different things. Whereas now more and more people are adventuresome. You know, they're saying, hey, you know what? I don't have to do my MBA in New York City. I can do my MBA in Spain and I get to live in Barcelona for two years or I can study abroad and go to a school in whatever country I want to go to. Or I can just save up a couple bucks, travel the world, and see if there's some some place that's appealing to me. And so our team has uh, a combination of people. You know, obviously, there's more U.S. CPAs that live in the U.S., but we also have accountants around the world who have, for whatever reason, chosen to live outside the U.S., And, you know, we can accommodate them. And we're one of a handful of companies that do that pretty easily for people. Well, I think that's really interesting because a lot of people don't understand that there are massive tax advantages. And it's not just for Americans, but for Canadians, for English, for lots of nations to actually live outside of their country of birth. Like, for example, I live in the Middle East. We have no income tax here. That translates to, you know, 50, hundreds of thousands of dollars for me that I'm saving. So actually, there's huge advantages to being abroad, and and taxes is just one of them. But standard of living, lifestyle, there's a lot of really amazing things that I always encourage people to travel and to get overseas and see these places and then make an informed decision for themselves. Yeah, you know, our family mission statement is to live an adventurous life 
And you know, that's kind of our driving motivation behind living abroad and you know, traveling around and living in the different countries we've lived in over the years. So what drew you to Bali originally? Well, originally we went to Spain, then we moved to London. After about six years in London, we decided we needed to go someplace to warm up. Yeah, I don't know how familiar your listeners are with London, but there's only one U.S. state on the same latitude as London, and that's Alaska. So, yeah, it's not the warmest, sunniest place in the world. It happened that at the time we were looking to make a move, a friend of ours from business school had just come back from Bali. And he had been there on and off for about three years. And he and his wife had had, I think, two of their children were born here. And, uh, you know, they just thought it was the most wonderful place in the world. So we were out talking to him and he recommended it. And I think about a week later, we were on an airplane flying out. I love it. So you take action very fast. That's brilliant. <laughs> a week later on a plane out to check it out. <laughs> yeah, it wasn't a rush decision. But what's the worst thing that happens, right? You go to Bali. If you don't like it, you spend two weeks in paradise and then you go somewhere else. Well, absolutely. It's not the end of the world. You know, I've lived in some places that I thought were going to be paradise and I did not enjoy my time there. Well, I wouldn't say at all, but it was not exactly what I expected. And then what's the worst case scenario? I jump on another plane or get in the car and drive somewhere else and, you know, try again. It's all right. Yeah, exactly. So what are some of the things that you really enjoy about Bali? If my listeners have not had a chance to visit, what are some of the advantages to living there or spending a good portion of the, the year in a place like Bali? Yeah, there's a couple different things. So for us, we've got three children, three little boys. Uh, age eight, five, and three years old. Now, where we are in Bali has a good international school. Uh, it's international baccalaureate accredited. So for us, that's a big bonus, you know, being able to send the kids to a good school. The town we're in is very walkable. On any given day, we can stroll down to the beach and kind of get around the town just walking on the beach. If you're not familiar with Bali, it's an island in Southeast Asia. The weather is pretty nice all year round. And so you really only need one style of clothing. You know, we don't have winter clothes here. Uh, we don't have winter jackets or gloves or any of that stuff that uh, we need when we go back to New York for Christmas. And the people here are very, very friendly. The culture here is welcoming to foreigners and they love little kids. So it's not uncommon to go into a restaurant and, you know, the waitress before she comes over to take your order will, you know, kneel down next to your kids and start talking to them and, you know, befriend the kids and then give them some coloring supplies and things like that, which is really a very nice cultural way for things to be. Yeah, family-friendly expat communities are absolutely brilliant. And then, you know, there's the added bonus of being able to go surfing or stand up paddle and snorkeling and, you know, all these wonderful things that we get to do here. So because I live in the Middle East, I live in, a, obviously, a Muslim country. Now, Indonesia is traditionally Muslim, but correct me if I'm wrong, Indonesia is not really an Islamic state or Islamic part of the country. It's more Buddhist, I believe. Yeah, Bali is actually Hindu, but it's a type of Hindu that's a little bit different than Indian Hindu. So it's, what is it? I believe it's about 90% Hindu at the moment. 
And yeah, if anybody's ever seen Eat, Pray, Love, yeah, uh, with the offerings and all this kind of stuff, they do that all the time here. So every day there's offerings around, there's family temples and all the homes, but then there's also larger temples that people go to on the holidays and you know, for ceremonies and things like that. It's really interesting. It's really kind of a cool thing when you first see it. And I imagine having boys around and being able to see such a diverse culture must really be very rich for their education and for their understanding of the world. Yeah, yeah, they really enjoy it. And they all really enjoy traveling as well. They were each born in a different country because we've lived in a bunch of different countries. And yeah, each of them enjoys the thrill of going somewhere new in their own way. And it's really interesting traveling with kids because once you've traveled for a long time, you can start getting used to the unexpected. But when you start traveling with kids, all of a sudden you're starting to see things through their eyes and you really get to enjoy the world a second time or you get to enjoy some of these travel experiences a second time through your kids, which is really great. No, I love that. I think that the conversation about children and living abroad, whether it be at one extreme with world schooling or non-schooling, or just having the children on the road with you as you travel, I think it's really cool because my daughter, you know, she's already been to 10 countries and she's only two years old. And I'm interested to see, you know, as she develops, what her perspective is opposed to, say, some children that are only in one town their entire lives and only talk to, say, one group of people, whether that be through a race or a religion or a certain demographic, you know, um, exposing your children to such a worldview. I think it's interesting to see how things like this turn out. Yeah, I entirely agree. You know, the whole concept of third culture kids and their experience, like our eight-year-old has been to, I think it's 20 or 25 countries now. Uh, You know, we lived in Argentina for a little while, so he was going to school and speaking Spanish when we were there. That's where our second son was born. Yeah, we've also got a number of different passports. So the two older boys each have three different nationalities. And then our third son only has two. He's got Irish and U.S. But we joke around. It's kind of like Jason Bourne, the later years, when you're going (laughs) through the airport trying to pull out your passport and say, okay, which one did we come in on? Which one are we going out on? Yeah, all those fun situations. So were they able to get those second and third passports because of country of birth, like blood right? Or how did that work? Well, for our oldest, he was born when we were still in London and we were permanent residents in London. So he got a uh, U.S. passport by birth. And then he also got the U.K. passport uh, because he was actually born in London. Our second guy was born in Argentina and... He also, because he was born in Argentina, got the Argentine passport, and then he also got the U.S. passport. Our third son was born in New York, so he got the U.S. passport. And then I have dual citizenship with the U.S. and Ireland, so I have an Irish passport, and I was able to get that Irish passport for each of them as well. That's fantastic. I love that. Like you said, Jason Bourne if he was eight (laughs) years old. Yeah, exactly. So I want to switch things up a little bit. I want to talk to you about failure. What has it been like building your business overseas? Have you ever had any of those times where you thought something was going to work? Maybe it would have worked back in the States or in the UK, but living in Bali and building the business there, it just did not happen the way you expected it. 
you know, life never happens the way you expect it to happen, right? <laughs> Absolutely. I can, I can definitely agree with you on that point. So my friend who had lived in Bali before we came here, when we were talking to him, he said he had just left Bali about a week before we sat down with him. And he told us, you know, the house we were living in in Ubud is available. The Pimbantu or the nanny that his family used was available. And, you know, if we hurried, we could get over there move right into their old house, hire that nanny and, uh, you know, be able to just like get right down to it, you know, continue working, not miss a step. So that was one of the reasons we sort of hurried out and got over there. Now, by the time we got to Bali, the house had already been rented to somebody else. The Pimbantu had taken another job. And the local school where my friend's children, who were a bit older, had gone to school wouldn't take our then one and a half year old son because he was too young. They didn't start until two. So right out of the gate, we had this situation where my wife and I both needed to be working to get this, you know, about one year old, almost two year old business up to scale, you know, really start building it up. But one of us always had to watch the baby. And, you know, that was a huge challenge. And that's actually where I first started getting into podcasts, because one of the ways my son would nap would be if we would walk him around in the stroller. And, you know, when you're starting a business, you want to be absorbing as much content, as much information as you possibly can. And I started listening to podcasts as a way to absorb information while, you know, walking my son so that he would nap. But, you know, there's there's probably a hundred failures for every success uh, that we've had over the years. And it's everything from, you know, losing Internet when you're about to have a business meeting with somebody or running a team call. You know, when we first moved to Bali, the Internet here was very, very poor, you know, like 16 kilobytes not even measured in megabytes at that point. And during the rainy season, the electricity would constantly go off and, you know, all these kind of things. So you really had to plan for all the different eventualities and really try and structure the business as much as possible so that people could operate on their own and didn't need us to, you know, spoon feed them everything they were doing. Yeah, and micromanage every single one of their decisions, trying to empower people, I assume. Right, exactly. Oh, that's amazing. So we've talked a lot about Bali. Do you have any other opinions about what's hot these days for expat communities? Yeah, there's a lot of really cool places out there. So, you know, we've lived in Barcelona. That's a big hub for expats. And I think there's a pretty good entrepreneurship scene there at the moment. We're going to Barcelona in about a week's time, and we're going to swing down and check out Valencia. Uh, we've heard great things about Valencia as well. My wife, grew up in Mexico. Her parents are American. She's American. But at the age of about five, her dad got a job in Mexico. And so they lived down there for five years. And so she's fluent in Spanish. And we really want the kids to learn Spanish at a very young age so that it sticks a little better. Yeah, for me, I'm dyslexic. And growing up, things like languages and even English were challenging enough 
that if I can give my kids an edge in some of that stuff, I'd like to. <laughs> well, I can definitely understand what that is like because I have a form of dyslexia myself and I dropped out of high school at a very young age, you know, started failing at 12 and by 15 I was out the door, had enough trouble with English, you know, was not even able to read and write until I was much older. So I definitely understand wanting to be able to give your kids that type of advantage with multiple languages and being able to self-teach themselves these things. Yeah. And, you know, just showing them what's out there as well. You know, for me, school was always a bit of a challenge. You know, I had teachers tell my parents I'd never learn how to read and all this kind of stuff. And I think in a lot of ways, that's very helpful in hindsight, because when you learn how to fail at a young age and you learn that you know, sometimes it's a big deal, sometimes it's not that big a deal, but you sort of grow resilience you know, you learn to become resilient and you really learn to push through that. Yeah. You know, that helps tremendously when you're starting a business or, you know, you're trying to do anything entrepreneurial. Absolutely. Being able to overcome adversity really builds character. And if you have things like that in your life at a young age, and going back to our conversation about our, both of our children traveling around the world, those are challenging experiences and things like that really does develop character. Yeah. And yeah, you know, they see how you deal with difficulties or they see how you deal with obstacles. About a week or so ago, we were on a holiday. We went to Komodo Island in Indonesia. And the first boat that we hired to take us around, because Komodo is like a, it's an island, but it's a national park. So you can't stay there. You have to take a boat out. And, you know, we were on this boat for 12 hours it turns out that the engine, like part of the engine was broken. So it was basically stuck in first gear the entire day. And, you know, we spent 12 hours on this boat, didn't get to do any snorkeling, didn't, I think we only got off the boat for about half an hour. And, you know, what we just kept telling the kids is, hey, you know, you go on adventures and sometimes it works out the way you want it to and sometimes it doesn't. But if you're only taking the safe option, you're never going to go on an adventure like this. You're never going to see the stuff that we're going to see taking these kind of adventures. And what was the reaction to something like that? The eight-year-old kind of gets it. The five-year-old was just happy to be on a boat. And the <laughs> three-year-old was probably just happy we had some snacks. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. But uh, as they age, those types of things, I think they really plant seeds. And I think that you'll be able to see a lot of this stuff when they hit maybe a little bit older ages, maybe in their teenage years. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, we've got a lot of friends who are entrepreneurs and, you know, we have a lot of those conversations openly uh, with our kids. So, you know, we'll all be out at lunch, the kids will be sitting there and we'll be talking about different kinds of businesses or different business models and different business problems and things like that. And the kids will then ask you about that stuff a day or two later. And, you know, one of the things that we absolutely love, our eight-year-old, when he wants money to buy something, he talks about what kind of business he could start in order to get the money. He doesn't ask for the money. He doesn't say, you know, I need to get a job. He says, I need to start a business uh, in order to go out and be able to buy another pack of Pokemon cards or another fidget spinner, you know, whatever it is he's looking for at that particular point. Yeah, that's incredible because... 
the normal, and I don't want to generalize too much, but I think the normal mentality, the normal zeitgeist right now is just this entitlement, you know, I want something, therefore give it to me, I'm owed it, you know, and uh, the fact that your children think differently and they think like, okay, what can I do to create something so that I get this reward is, is amazing. Yeah, it's one of the things we really enjoy about being overseas, like living abroad. Yeah, there's no keeping up with the Joneses. There's no real consumer or consumerism part of life here. Yeah, it's a much simpler, almost, yeah, the way you would imagine the 1950s or something like that lifestyle where, you know, our kids go outside and they climb trees and they play in the garden and, you know, they do all this kind of stuff. You know, they all swim, they all snorkel. They're at different levels for things like surfing or bodyboarding and things like that. But it's, in my opinion at least, it's the way you want a bunch of little boys to be raised. You know, outdoors, very active, very you know, into working with their hands and creating things out of you know, duct tape and saute <laughs> sticks and <laughs> whatever they can get their hands on. I love it. Okay, we're just going to take a quick break. So if you guys haven't joined Expat Money Forum yet, then I don't know what I need to do to get you guys to go on this. The conversations in this forum are just unbelievable. The networking is fantastic. There's so much things being shared with the group that honestly, it's more than just me. It's more than just this podcast. It has grown to a life of its own. We have over 2,000 people in our private group discussing things like immigration, asset protection, travel, food, culture, history, everything about being an expat and going overseas. There's tons of work being done on Plan B residencies, on different passports. We're even talking about SIM cards, international SIM cards, and the best places to get your internet if you're a digital nomad and you're traveling around the world. There are so many things that are being shared by people who are actually in different countries, who are digital nomads, who are expats, who have gone offshore, and there's just so much there. So I'm really excited about it. I hope you can see that I'm really thrilled about this group because it's just more than I ever expected. And and a massive shout out to you if you are part of the group and you are contributing and helping other people who are looking to get where you are. You are an awesome person. I really, really appreciate it. So if you guys want to get involved, if you want to join the conversation, then go to expatmoneyforum.com or on Facebook directly, you can search for Expat Money Forum. You'll find us there. We should come up on the very first page. And yeah, join the group, join the conversation. Lots happening there. Okay, let's jump back into today's interview. So Dave, talk to me a little bit about what your goals are. Talk to me a bit about your goals for your business. Are you going to be staying in Bali? Is this where you want to spend the rest of your life? What are your travel goals? Things like this. I'm really interested. Well, our sort of travel vision is, you know, we jokingly call it a hub and spoke model. So you know how like airlines work in North America, they have a main hub that everybody flies into and then you have connecting flights out. So being based in Bali is sort of our hub in Asia. And then we can take a lot of trips from here. So, you know, we go to Sri Lanka, we go to Vietnam, we go to Thailand, we go to Australia, we go to Singapore, you know, all these different places to explore while we're here. For a little while, we lived for about a year and a half, we lived in Argentina. My wife and I got married in Brazil. We'd love to get back to Rio and live there at some point. Uh, that's very high on our list. 
were looking at moving to Costa Rica for a period of time. We're not sure how long yet, but there's this little town on the Pacific coast that we've been looking at, and there's an international school there. There's high-speed internet. There's a beautiful beach with you know, no garbage and you know, nice waves and all this kind of stuff. So we're thinking maybe we'll do six months abroad or a year abroad and just go try that out, you know, see what living there is like. And then will you keep your house in Bali and rent it out on something like Airbnb or will you get rid of it? And then if you decide Bali is where you want to come back to, you've got everything set up. We'd probably keep the house and try and rent it out, you know, sublet it out to somebody else just because... A lot of the houses they build here tend to be like two bedrooms and, you know, really we need three or four bedrooms, you know, like three bedrooms in an office since we work from home. So we'd probably try and keep the house at least for the first six months or year until we were sure we wanted to be somewhere else. That's awesome. Definitely the, and I've never heard it referred to this before, but the hub and spoke model, that's exactly how I live my life. So I've lived in seven different countries over the last 20 years, and I always use them as a base of operations and then go out from there. Because like when I lived in the South Pacific, I lived in Australia and New Zealand, and then I was able to go to Fiji and Vanuatu and Tonga and Hawaii and all these places. Now, if I was trying to do that from Canada, going all the way to Vanuatu, that's quite a journey. But if I live in Melbourne, it's a six-hour flight, seven-hour flight, and I'm there. I can hit the ground running and go straight out traveling. And similarly, when I live in the Middle East now, I've had a chance to travel to Oman and Bahrain and Kuwait and all of these types of places. Not countries that I would necessarily visit if I was coming from Canada. Yeah, and you're not worried about jet lag. You're not worried about you know these long haul flights and the expense of all that. Yeah, it's really a nice way to do it. It's not quite the same as slow travel, but really allows you to see the world at your own pace and sort of build up to some of the more exotic places if you're not as adventurous a traveler yet. And then when you actually live in that country, you really understand the region. You Because a lot of these places, they do have such parallels and such similarities. So even if you are not quote-unquote traveling at that moment, you're still learning the culture that will help make you more prepared as you are traveling through the neighboring countries. Yeah, absolutely. And you, know, you get to pick up a little bit of the language and you know, some of the local customs and things like that so that you really understand what you're getting yourself into. And yeah, as you're saying, you just understand what you're doing and where you are much better. So I want to switch gears a little bit, Dave. I want to talk to you what it's like to build your business overseas and have so many remote employees. Can you explain some of those things, some of the challenges you've had to deal with perhaps? Oh, absolutely. You know, when we first started this business back in 2009, there were not a lot of other people out there running remote businesses, certainly not in this industry. You know, a lot of accountancies won't even let people work from home. So, you know, the one of the initial challenges was just talking to both accountants, trying to convince them to come work for us, but also clients saying, no, you know, we don't have an office you can drop by. We're online. Yeah, I actually had a client ask me one time, are you guys some sort of, you know, Russian mafia scam, like trying to get a hold of my <laughs> personal information? Yeah, that, that was an interesting phone call where I had to you know, convince him I wasn't and explain my background, my wife's background, all this kind of stuff. It's challenging working in a virtual environment, but not always for the reasons you think. What we've found is that a lot of times when people are working from home, they tend to not turn off. They tend to keep working all the time, especially 
if the project or you know, the things they're working on are things that they're passionate about. So one of the things we do with our business, we have mandatory vacation time where we make sure everybody's taking at least a week or two off in a row, you know, not just a long weekend here, a long weekend there. You know, we're off over Christmas and things like that as well. But you know, we really try and make sure that to stop people from burning out, that they are taking time off to rest and recharge. Building the sense of team and community can also be challenging when you're working virtually. And we do a couple different things for that. We have get to know you questions that we send out each week. Yeah, examples could be what's your favorite food to make for dinner or what kind of exercise have you done this week? Just little questions that get people talking about not work stuff and getting to know each other a little bit more personally so that you can understand the people you're working with a bit better and have conversations with them that are not always about work and not only about work. So I'd love to dig deep on this. Like, so what are some of the practical things that you do? Do you have like a forum that you use? Do you use uh, social media for these types of communications? Or how does something like that look? Well, my wife set all this up. You know, she's the brains behind, you know, the internal workings of our company. And she found this system called Podio. I don't know if you've ever heard of it or used it, but it's sort of like a CRM system, but it's very adaptable. So you can use it for a lot of different things. And so we have different forums or different sections of that. Some are to help us track projects and you can assign tasks and to-dos and you know all these different things to people for work projects. But then on the not work side, you can have things in there. You, you know, you can send out questions to the team. You can set up work groups, you know, and send the messages out to people. And then people can upload their photos there. They can you know, share what they're working on or what they're doing, what their passions are, what their hobbies are, all this kind of stuff in a way that the whole team can then see and comment on what people are doing and things like that. Well, that's really interesting because a lot of times entrepreneurship can be a bit of a lonely endeavor. So creating that community within your business, I think, is really important. And you learn some really interesting stuff about people. We found our sales manager for a little while was raising giant bunnies. <laughs> <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> and you know, she's just, she's a big animal person. And I forget how she said she got introduced to them, but yeah, you know, got introduced to them and thought, hey, you know, I've got to have one of these. And then an article came out in a newspaper about these things and people were searching all over for them. And she was like, well, I could breed them and sell them as well. And yeah, so yeah, you sort of see... It's much more like working in an office where you have some of these casual conversations and get to know you moments. And, you know, we do that with the accountants as well, where we have, you know, we call it our internal water cooler, where it's basically like a chat room that the accountants can go to. And we do the same sort of questions for them. And they can also ask each other about different tax things. You know, if somebody's having a problem or has a question about a specific form. Yeah, you know, people can share what they know about those different things. And it's all in there. It's all tracked so that, you know, people can go back and look at it, you know, a year later, two years later, whatever they need to do. So I suppose you're also building up a bit of a database as well, a resource for your employees and for your partners to leverage in the future. Yeah. And, you know, obviously the tax laws change and things like that. But for a lot of it, it's useful year after year. So any other tips or tricks for 
my listeners who might be building their business overseas currently to try to create that company culture? Well, yeah, I think anything you can do, you know, we just started, this was one of our employees' ideas was to have a virtual happy hour. So I think it was two Fridays ago at, you know, six o'clock Eastern Standard Time, everybody cracked open a beer or glass of wine. They're all on video conference and, you know, it just had a bit of a hangout. The other thing we try and do with our management team is do an annual in-person team meeting where we'll all meet in the location and, you know, have two or three days of meetings and dinners and drinks and all this kind of stuff, really to basically share ideas and have a lot of the conversations that you're not going to have over email, you're not going to have on a phone call if you have a scheduled one-hour meeting or something like that. I love the names that you come up with. So it's the the virtual water cooler <laughs> and virtual happy hour because you know exactly what it is. But I, my mind never went there before with my employees. I never thought about doing anything like that. But actually, that's really that's really neat. It's really cool. And you can sort of see more things moving that way going forward. Is yeah, you know, more and more people start working virtually, and more and more people. Yeah, start commuting virtually to their jobs. Yeah, I think that a lot of people don't understand this yet. Like the whole world, we're having a huge paradigm shift. The idea of just going to a job and having that job for 20, 30 years, collecting a pension and then retiring, it's disappearing. Like it's on the way out. I think in the next 10, 15 years, everyone is going to end up working either remotely in one way or another, you know, as either a consultant or an information worker, that there's no reason that we all need to go to one centralized building to do things, at least not in all instances. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, a friend of ours wrote a book about that. Taylor Pearson is his name. uh, And I believe it's called The End of Jobs. But yeah, it's basically that exact concept where eventually nobody's going to have what we now consider a job. No, it's very true. It's very true. And that's why I think that a lot of expats and a lot of entrepreneurs, we might actually be ahead of the curve. But I see this really as a trend that's coming in the, in the coming days. Yeah. And yeah, I think for us, but also for our kids, it's important for them to see that and you know really understand. Like my father was an attorney. He had his own practice for a long time. But every day he wore a suit and he went into the office and that was what he did. You know, he went into New York City every day. And, you know, my kids make fun of me because I'm constantly wearing a T-shirt and board shorts and a pair of (laughs) flip-flops. And, yeah, I had to go to a meeting in Tokyo. or I got to go to a meeting in Tokyo towards the end of last year where I needed a suit. And, you know, I had to go out and have a suit made in order to attend this meeting. And the kids saw me in the suit. And they looked at me and they're like, oh my gosh. I was like, yeah, do I look smarter? They're like, yeah, you look so much smarter. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. That's brilliant. Because that is one of the advantages, you know, working from home, being able to live near the beach is you wear whatever you want to work. You're, You're doing your job on the internet. And a lot of times, you know, if you're doing emails or audio calls, they have no idea. You could be sitting around, like you said, in your board shorts or something because you were just in the ocean 20 minutes ago and, you know, talking to some business in New York or in Tokyo, like you mentioned. Yeah, exactly. I love it. So you mentioned one book there. Books are one of my favorite topics. I'm such a voracious reader. Do you have any other recommendations for people who are building their businesses overseas? Maybe some good entrepreneurial books? Oh, geez. There's one out there. I forget. I'm terrible with authors' names, but The Millionaire Fastlane is one that you might not have heard of. 
but that's yeah an entrepreneurial story which is pretty interesting yeah obviously tim ferris's four-hour work week is a very good one and yeah i think there's different stages of your business when you're starting to look for different kinds of books so yeah i think something like the four-hour work week when you're first getting started and you're looking for that inspiration to you know, give you the energy or the courage to start your own business is great. And then, yeah, as you start growing your business and you start bringing a team and putting a team in place, you're going to start looking for people like Michael Gerber or I think it's Sam Carpenter to learn about how to build processes and how to implement structure in your business. Mm -hmm. And leveraging all those types of systems. Right, exactly. And then, you know, as you grow from there, you're going to start looking for, you know, books about how to hire people and how to hire better people. And the interview technique is called top grading. I forget what the book is called. I think it might be named Who. And it's about, you know, how to hire the best people you can. But, yeah, I, I think it really depends on the stage of the business, you know, where the business is and what the people need at that particular stage. I tend to be a slower reader. My wife is a voracious reader. You know, she probably reads three books a week. And you know, at the stage we're at right now, a lot of what she's reading, because she's the CEO of Greenback, she's reading a lot more about leadership and how to motivate people and you know, those kind of topics at this point. So do you have any other methods for learning that you like to do? Are you a part of any groups or either mastermind or networking or any type of things like that that you enjoy? Yeah, absolutely. My wife and I are both in a group called the Dynamite Circle, which is, I think it's probably 1,200 or 1,500 digital entrepreneurs at this point. And you know, these are people, a lot of them are location independent, meaning they can live anywhere in the world. They're all business owners. That's one of the screening criteria. You have to have a legitimate business, you know, making money. And so, you know, we've gone to a couple of the events that they host in Bangkok. They have this big event every year called DCBKK. And, you know, we've presented at that a couple of times. And I'm in a mastermind group that they helped organize with, I think it's six people, you know, six other business owners at this point where we meet once a week for accountability sessions and yeah, to really just help each other brainstorm how we do different things. Yeah. Obviously people are at different stages in their business. You know, some are smaller, some are larger. And a lot of the learning that one person has already gone through, yeah, you can share that with somebody else so they don't make the same mistakes that you've made. And so what's been your experience with types of things like this? Have you noticed a definite ROI? Have you found it's worth your time and energy and even money? I think they're absolutely fantastic. I would highly recommend to anybody starting a business, if you're a solopreneur or an entrepreneur with VC funding or anything in between, find a group of like-minded people that you can talk to on a weekly basis, monthly basis, you know, as often as you can to share tips, best practices, you know, to vent when you're having a bad day, anything like that. Because you know, most people who have a job won't understand. You know, they don't have that same level of accountability. When you have a job, you leave for the weekend and you know, your job stays in the office. You know, you're not really bringing that home with you. 
when you have a business, you're responsible for it, you know, 24 seven. It's, you know, we joke again about how having a business is a lot like having a child. It requires a lot of attention, not always at times you want to give it. <laughs> yeah, they can be expensive if, yeah, they can be very demanding of your time and yeah, all these different things. So we joke around saying that we've got five babies because we've got two businesses and then the three kids. Uh, and yeah, it all just takes a lot of our time and a lot of our energy to manage those and give all of them, the kids and the businesses, the attention they need. Well, it's an interesting parallel because just like children, I find entrepreneurship and raising, growing your business is also very rewarding. It definitely takes a lot more energy and time and mental fortitude than having a nine to five job. But like I said, the the rewards with something like this are so incredible. Yeah. And yeah, I think that's one of the areas where having a mastermind group or having accountability partners can come in very handy because you really need to be very resilient as an entrepreneur. And at least from a lot of the entrepreneurs I've met over the years, most are not very happy about giving themselves a pat on the back, even if something great happens. So it's important to have a group of people around that understand what you're going through they help you celebrate your successes, you know, even if it's saying something like, hey, nice job on this or nice job on that. You know, getting that kind of feedback from people that are doing the same thing, you know, they're out there hustling every day, can be really rewarding. And again, it can really help accelerate your learning. Yeah, I agree with you 100%. I was at my mastermind meeting a couple of weeks ago. One of the guys there, he had launched a new sale for one of his products. He ended up doing, I think, 29,000 euros in the two-day mastermind. Now, you go out and try to explain that to an employee at a company, and I don't think that they're going to necessarily be happy for you, but we're all patting him on the back, and we're going, that's fantastic, you know? While you were sleeping, while you were in the mastermind and sharing ideas and helping people, you know, your business was running in the background, and you do a, a massive take-home. Like, well done. That's fantastic. Yeah, no, and yeah. It's, I think you have to be an entrepreneur to understand that and to appreciate that. We had a situation a couple of years ago where we presented at DCBKK. And then on the last day, the, a different presenter was up on the stage and we actually pitched him on our expat tax service because he was an expat. And he said no you know, in front of 250 people, <laughs> which was fine. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, you don't ask, you don't get. But yeah, that was fine. And then a couple months later, he sold that business. He went to work for another company and he reached out with a different business opportunity. And yeah, that's now our second business. And that's uh, a growing business in a similar space that is really doing quite well and we're really enthusiastic about. But if you don't go to these things, if you don't put yourself out there, if you don't take that initial risk, you don't get those opportunities. And yeah, I think that's probably one of the most important takeaways is that you know, if you don't ever take any risk or you don't ever put yourself out there, you know, the opportunities are not going to present themselves to you. Absolutely. Creating those JVs with your mastermind partners has been, and I can speak from personal experience, have been 
massive in my life and in my business. Yeah. No, I can imagine. When you have people helping each other scale, it's fantastic. So Dave, say that I come over to Bali and we go out to the pub. We're having a, maybe a couple of coconuts, get them to put some rum in there or something, some sneaky rum. <laughs> and I lean in and I'm like, Dave, Dave, what's the one secret to success? What's that one secret to success of building your business overseas as an expat? And if you told me, I have to, you'd have to kill me. What's that one secret, Dave? It's not a secret. It's something that you know, but I bet most people don't do. But set a goal, write it down, put it somewhere where you're going to see it every day, and you know, keep your focus on that. You know, in our office, we've got this giant whiteboard, and we'll write goals on there. And they can be personal goals, they can be fitness goals, they can be business goals, anything like that. But if you identify the goal and you write it down, your chance of achieving it are you know, 99% higher than if you don't do that. And if you don't ever set a goal, obviously you'll never achieve it. I love it. That's brilliant. David, thank you so much for your time. I really enjoyed this conversation. If my listeners want to get a hold of you, if they want to learn more about what you do, where can we send them? Well, our website is greenbacktaxservices.com. So that's probably the best place. And yeah, if anyone has any questions or anything like that, they can ping us right on there. That's perfect. Thanks so much for your time, David. I really appreciate it. I hope you have a great day and we'll talk soon, okay? Great. Thank you very much, Mikkel. Hey, everyone. Mikkel here. I want to remind you that if you go to expatmoneyshow.com, you're going to be able to download our special report. It's called 19 International Strategies to Grow and Protect Your Wealth Abroad. It has been a project of mine I have been working on for maybe four years now, and I constantly update this with the newest and best strategies. Now, it's really different than a lot of other special reports or books out there because this one is really short, and it is short on purpose. What I want to do is kind of highlight to you the best of the best strategies that are out there in the world and then where you can go for additional information or how you can get involved in these things. So instead of writing a 500-page special report on this, which probably chances are no one is going to read it, this is really highly condensed information. I've actually put it in an infographic. It's an infographic special report. It has helped thousands upon thousands of people really get a grasp of being an expat and what type of things are out there to protect your assets, professionals that you should be working with, investments, real estate, these types of things. So it's called 19 International Strategies to Grow and Protect Your Wealth Abroad. You can pick it up at expatmoneyshow.com. You'll see it. It's on the very first page at the very top. All you need to do is put in your name and email address. You're going to get a chance to actually join my private email list, EMS Pulse. And there's just so much great things that are shared on there. It's completely free. There's no funnel. There's no trick to this. There's no credit card needed, anything like that. It's just a good resource for you, my listener, who I love and adore. And I want to do right by you guys. So go to expatmoneyshow.com, pick this up. Let me know what you think. I'll talk to you soon. This episode may be over, but your journey to greatness continues by visiting our webpage and signing up for our newsletter. For convenient access to new episodes, show notes, and other crucial resources, visit expatmoneyshow.com. We look forward to you joining us on the next episode of the Expat Money Show. Safe travels. I have managed to secure exclusive rights to a block of villas in one of the hottest up-and-coming regions in my current home country, 
Panama. Join me Saturday, May 4th at 10 a.m. Central, 11 a.m. Eastern Time for our special presentation called Investors Workshop, capitalizing on the globally recognized resort brand coming to Panama. We will discuss how the tourism landscape in this region will change rapidly upon the public announcement of this project and how I have secured the rights for my clients to capitalize on this opportunity before anyone else. Thanks to my connections in the region, I have negotiated pricing that front runs everyone else. Think early, early bird pricing. From gourmet restaurants to vibrant clubs, poolside activities, and even live bands, this resort is going to pump some serious life into the region. But this isn't what excites me or what should excite you either. The exciting part is that these world-class amenities and top brand will attract tens of thousands of tourists. Tourists who will fork over top dollar to stay at our investment properties. Register free at expatmoney.com forward slash webinars. That's expatmoney.com forward slash webinars to register for this free real estate workshop. See you on May 4th at 10 a.m. Central Time. That's 11 a.m. Eastern Time. Go to expatmoney.com forward slash webinar.